You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is... Distilling Theology. Welcome back to Distilling Theology, you wonderful and exciting people. Thank you for joining us. Guys, if you've ever listened to this podcast and wondered, how do I get more? Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Justin, what's going on tonight? I'm your co-host, Blake Courtright, and I'm joined uh, by the Baptistic bear, Bearded Bear uh, himself, and I butchered that intro, but here we are. I'm not Eric, so, you know. No, dude, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> I am I am thrilled to be here. Uh, welcome back, ladies and Gentiles. Um, yeah, uh, you know, how have you been, man? I, I've been stressed. <laughs> I've been stressed lately, but it's been, it's been, um, it's been good. It's been sanctifying. Uh, this past week in church, we were at the end of Romans eight, uh, around verses 32, 33 and forward, um, talking about our assurance of pardon mm. and the security that we have, the eternal security we have Come on. in Christ. And it was an incredibly comforting, humbling and, um, unifying, uh, sermon and, and service. And so it was, it was really, really good and refreshing this week, uh, desperately needed um, how about you? Dude, first of all, that's fantastic. Uh, our sermon, we're continuing through Peter and going into, um, moving away from just the description of the church, which we talked about a little bit last week with Tony and now into how Christians as the church, uh, and as individuals are to interact with the world and how we're to be above reproach. We're to live, um, in light of this calling and live in such a way that the unbelievers aren't able, like when they come and accuse us of things, mm-hmm. there's nothing substantive for them to accuse us of. Um, so that was really challenging. And then the evening, uh, evening service was about marriage. So, you know, just Beautiful. casual, casual, uh, you know, reading, you're an so. expert in that now, right? Uh, no, not, uh, whoa. Um, <laughs> that's like, that's like couples that start like, they're like, oh my gosh, marriage is so wonderful and like people, you know, they say it's really hard, but like you can get through it and you'll get through the hard times. And, you know, we're, we're releasing a podcast and uh, a book with a companion <laughs> workbook for couples. Well, how long have you been married? Oh, you know, like six months, but you know what? They're the experts. <laughs> um, Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, I joked about that with some friends of mine, but in all seriousness, not nah, man, marriage is, Marriage is a gift from the Lord, and I, as a newlywed man, am still um, very ignorant. <laughs> so, mm. uh, and I suspect I will remain that way as I continue to grow in sanctification, but also in the joys of marriage. Right? And uh, you and Eric left me a nice little uh, present of an episode when uh, ah, yes. when I was Great away. Times. So, uh, <laughs> stay tuned. That that may make its way from Patreon to the main podcast at some point. So, oh yeah, uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, and speaking to. of making it to our main podcast, Justin, what in our glass has made it to our podcast this evening? <laughs> yeah, we are uh, finally uh, slipping back away from scotch. Um, listen, 
we're scotch boys we love scotch we absolutely do um we do but you know what we also love bourbon hmm. and so we have come back to the homeland <laughs> we're both very american what can we yeah. say um and we're having russell reserve russell's reserve single barrel bourbon um tonight which i'm excited about it's a 55 percent abv or 110 proof uh bourbon uh it's close to barrel proof um as far as that's concerned uh for for wild turkey whiskeys right um, that's correct yeah tell they, us a little bit about the distillery so wild turkey is a distillery that i unfortunately overlooked pretty heavily um because i was so caught up on buffalo trace products which like don't get me wrong i love me some buffalo trace i love buffalo's products um and likewise with um the heaven hill distillery with evan sure. williams elijah Cret. like there so there's a lot of really good product out there but uh wild turkey has grown on me not just from their main lineup um and some of the main whiskeys in that, but from this specialty reserve line. So Russell's Reserve is um, a whiskey line named in honor of Jimmy and Eddie Russell, who are the father-son master distiller duo. Um, combined at Wild Turkey, they have over 90 years. I think it's almost 100 years of experience working for Wild Turkey that this father-son duo brings, which is pretty mm -hmm. amazing. Um, apparently, they tend to bottle, to barrel their whiskeys at a lower proof. So like, even though this is 55% ABV, and a few weeks ago we had Stag Jr., which was over 64% ABV, if I remember correctly which batch we had. Um, it's still closer to barrel proof from what I read for wild turkey whiskeys because they don't tend to put it in the barrel at as high a proof as someone like Buffalo um, and a lot of other distilleries do. So it's a, it's a good, hefty bourbon. It's single barrel selection. So you're going to have some variety from whiskey to whiskey. But the, in my experience, they've been pretty consistently amazing. Mm -hmm. um, as I recall, they also have a rye. They also have a 10-year-old, and I think they have an age-stated rye. This particular whiskey is not age-stated, um, but the blends that, that go, or, or sorry, the barrels tend to be 8 to 10 years. I was saying the blends. It's not a blend. It's a single barrel. Yep. Forgive me. Uh, it's non-chill filtered. No color it. added. Um, yeah. I'm pretty hyped for it, man. Um, I also yeah. was able to find the mash bill info because I guess Wild Turkey on their bourbons uses a pretty consistent mash. I think I have that in the notes there. Uh, yeah, so the mash bill is 75% uh, corn, 13% rye, and 12% malted barley. Um, mm. And uh, if you guys are on Patreon, you can see the color. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a dark gold, mm -hmm. almost copper. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, it's a rich color. Now, what are your predictions yeah. based on that mash bill and what you know about uh, distilling? It's, it's hard to say it like, I, I feel like it's going to like, I've had a lot of different bourbons that are just really heavy on the corn mash. Yeah. And so it's just kind of corny. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but I'm guessing, uh, just knowing Russell's reserve that it's not going to be that overwhelmingly boring. Um, if I had to guess, there's going to be more, a little bit more of a variety, maybe some sort of cinnamon or some sort of toffee or caramel or something along those lines. Oh man. I'm so ready. Let's uh, let's get some some notes on the aroma here. All right. So out of the gate, it is rich and sweet, molassesy, um, licorice. I'm getting licorice. licorice. I could see that. Clove. I was going to say definitely clove, cinnamon, those baking spices that are characteristic of these higher proofs. Um, yep. Yeah. There. This is like. In some ways, it reminds me of Stag Jr. as far as like you're starting to get into those higher proof bourbons. You're starting to get those heavier 
aromatic palettes that tend to be sweeter, richer, more intense, uh, more pronounced. But yeah. uh, it's not nearly that heavy. At the same time, you know, you're 110 proof instead of like 130 some odd. Sure. It, it definitely hides the, the strength well. Yeah. Like, um, you know, it's, it doesn't, it does, it, it's, it's kind of teasing. It's inviting, um, which is good. There's some vanilla and other things as well. I was going to say a little bit of graham cracker, maybe along with that cinnamon caramel. Um, there's also, it's also somewhat dried out too, like a little bit of a, uh, like cedar and maybe some leather as well happening. Sure. Sure. Basically just all of the manly it, it's, scents. It's honestly really um, outstandingly complex, for especially for a bourbon. Yeah. Well, and as I recall, I'm just going to look up here at my local liquor store and see what they're selling it for. Watch, watch how it got allocated and jumped up in price <laughs> without me knowing. Because <laughs> last time I looked, it was not terrible. Like, it was very reasonably priced. Um, so they're... Well, okay, so the local liquor store doesn't actually have um, just the single barrel at this moment. They have their private reserve, so it was that store's pick of a barrel, and they're selling it for 60 bucks. their store pick. So, like, okay, you know, I can't complain about yeah. that. You know, as I go back in, there's that slightest hint of, like, orange and maybe a little bit of um, cherry aroma. There's that slightly fruity note. Uh, I'm almost getting a hint of, like, a cinnamon apple pie. Bro, you're making me hungry. On that note, uh, <laughs> why don't you cheers for us and we'll uh, we'll jump in and taste this thing. Let's do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more of the cinnamon, oak, vanilla kind of blend on the mouth. Yeah. Um, it's a long... It's a long finish. It's still going. Yeah. But it's not so intense and crazy as like Stag Junior a couple weeks ago where that like yeah, certainly felt yeah. like my insides were on fire. This does not feel like that. <laughs> no, this is this is really like I, even in even on the palate, it hides its strength. Um it just goes down well. I'm getting more caramel and toffee this time. Yeah, if you slosh it around it heats up really well. Yeah. And and gives you a very warming sort of comfortable cinnamon sort of flavor um this would be good i would appreciate this in the fall but also the spring you know what i mean um it it doesn't seem you know very seasonal like sometimes you'll get a bourbon that seems very seasonal oh yeah um yeah this this i could enjoy really anytime there's also that faintest hint of like i can taste that rye coming through just a little bit on the palate. It's very subtle, but there is mm-hmm. a little bit of that rye spice that kind of bites back. This is a very flavorful um, bourbon. This is great. Yeah, man. Honestly, that little pop of dark fruit at the end as well. Yep. Those okay, cherries. Yeah. You I get that? Get that. I, I could get that now, yeah. Yeah, that you mentioned it. That like dark fruit. It, it's like dark fruit and vanilla, like a like a dark fruit cream almost. Yeah. And I also am getting um some of that toffee and graham cracker coming back again at the end. That's really, dude, I love that whiskey. See, 
it's interesting because I I'm not getting the toffee so much, mm. but I'm getting more of the the kind of vanilla forward. Okay, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, and vanilla um, and oak are kind of related in yes palate tasting, so that makes sense. Guys, speaking of a variety of flavors, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, Speaking of a variety of flavors, guys, we are going to be talking today uh, a little bit more about the church. We're going to be talking about church leaders. We're going to be talking about ecclesiology, the offices of the church. There seems to be, in today's day and age, quite a variety of flavors when it comes to what that looks like. And so we want to dive in historically. We want to dive into orthodoxy. And before we do that, guys, please join us in prayer, as usual, for the Valley of Vision. If you have one, check out page 314. We're going to be reading, Blake's going to be blessing us with his voice on Calvary's anthem. Uh, so go ahead and lead us in prayer if you would. All right. Heavenly Father, thou hast led me singing to the cross, where I fling down all my burdens and see them vanish where my mountains of guilt are leveled to a plain, where my sins disappear, though they are the greatest that exist, and are more in number than the grains of fine sand. For there is power in the blood of Calvary to destroy sins more than can be counted, even by one from the choir of heaven. Thou hast given me a hillside spring that washes clear and white, and I go as a sinner to its waters, bathing without hindrance in its crystal streams. At the cross, there is free forgiveness for poor and meek ones and ample blessings that last forever. The blood of the Lamb is like a great river of infinite grace with never any diminishing of its fullness, as thirsty ones without number drink of it. O Lord, forever will thy free forgiveness live that was gained on the Mount of Blood. In the midst of a world of pain, it is a subject for praise in every place. A song on earth, an anthem in heaven, its love and virtue knowing no end. I have a longing for the world above where multitudes sing the great song. For my soul was never created to love the dust of earth. Though here my spiritual state is frail and poor, I shall go on singing Calvary's anthem. May I always know that a clean heart full of goodness is more beautiful than the lily, that only a clean heart can sing by night and by day, that such a heart is mine when I abide at Calvary. Amen. Mm. I love it. Rich. I love to hear it. It is. It really is. Um, it's, so it, is very, it is very wealthy. Mm. Just like this whiskey, dude. This this is so good. I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we decided <laughs> yeah. to sip this tonight. Yeah, I, this is phenomenal. Uh, I just finished off last night um, the rest of my Clonakilty um, Irish whiskey. That oh, stuff uh, that I that I got for Christmas. Man, honestly, this Irish whiskey made it into my top ten. I mean, Whoa. it is. I really, 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 really like it. Um, I'm sad that there's only 300 bottles. That were produced, Bro. and I don't know if I'll be able to get it again. Um, this was bottle 102 of 300, and it was just a delectable treat of flavor. Um, but 
all I've had lately is Irish, uh, is this Irish whiskey and then a bunch of scotch. So I'm really yeah. pleased. Um, it's a real exciting kind of change to the palate and it's delicious. Yeah. I'm definitely going to, um, when it's, when it's time to replenish some things, I'm definitely going to get another bottle that, you, you know, like you, you run into things and, um, you'll taste something and you'll say, well, that was really interesting. I'm probably not going to get that again. But like the last two weeks, man, I, I'm like going to replenish this. Um, my wife really enjoyed, uh, the Glimmerangi, the Nectar Dior that we tasted with Tony. Like, how could you not? That's amazing. That was super um, good. So those are things that I'm like, I'm, I'm excited to, to taste those again. And then there's whiskeys that I'm like, yeah, that was fine. Like, I don't need to try it again. Or it's so yeah. expensive that I'm like, well, I'll, I'll never get to try that again, but it was fun right. while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. Um, but something that's not just fun while it lasts and something that is enduring and perpetual through the church are the <laughs> offices of the church. <laughs> yes. Yeah, guys, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, um, the scriptures have some things to say about the offices that are uh, to be in church governance. When it comes to what? leading the church, yeah, there are specific offices, uh, ordained offices in the church. And so we want to discuss, at least crack open uh, the topic of what those are and what that looks like. Um, Blake, what are the ordained offices in the church? So based upon the scriptures and the reformed tradition being one that is exegetically rooted in the scripture, uh, mm -hmm. affirms this, whether you're a 1689 or Westminster affirming Presbyterian, there are two ordained offices in the church. And those are the offices of elder and deacon. And they are distinguished and they do have distinct categories, which we'll get into a little bit this week. And I'm sure they'll come up again as we continue through ecclesiology. Yeah. Um, but these offices are incredibly important. And unfortunately, in our current day and age, I've seen plenty of good examples of these offices being filled well and correctly. I've also mm -hmm. seen a lot of unfortunate situations where these are not handled well at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of that, but I wanted to lead in with some of the negative um, wrong examples and then go to the scripture and go to our confessions and, and books of church order and, and dig into uh, a more robust understanding. But I, I don't know if you had any particular examples in mind of like negative. I, I have a few, but I wanted to see what you had. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think there's a lot of bad examples. Um, we can see a lot of uh, issues. Uh, let's say, for example, with the Roman church, the Catholic church, sure. um, the Episcopal church. Um, I see a lot of issues within a lot of the mega church type things. Um, where they either don't have, for example, a plurality of elders, they just have some guy who's telling everybody what to do, or they have a number of um, people in the wrong place, uh, people who are not qualified uh, biblically uh, in, in wrong places in the church. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a ton of, a bad, a ton of bad examples. Sure. <laughs> um, I think there are some, I agree, I think there are some good examples. Um, I've seen some some great examples, uh, particularly um, in the last few years. Once I started digging into uh, what these uh, offices are, when I was trying to figure out what to do about where I was going to church, if I wanted to stay in my home church, if I wanted to, you know, if I if I felt convicted to leave and all these things, I wanted to make sure that at least my church had, was exercising these things um, well. And so, yeah, uh, there's a, there's a ton of a ton of crap out there, frankly. Sure. Um, you know, top-down leadership and and leadership that doesn't really have any definition at all. Sure. Yeah. What about you? Oh, I mean, I've seen I've seen elders 
and deacons kind of go either way, right? I've seen them get sure. conflated and confused to the point where there's really no meaningful distinction between the two and people just treat them like the same office. And and there is a lot of overlap, as we'll see when we get into the text, particularly in terms of requirements for being called to these high offices to serve the church. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen the unfortunate other direction where people basically reduce them to uh, a board of directors in which the pastor mm-hmm. is basically the CEO and the board of directors is the elders and all they do is make financial decisions. And that's not to say that elders and deacons don't make financial decisions for the church for the benefit of the congregation sure. um, and for the spread of the gospel. Like how do we properly steward what God has given? That's a very important aspect of what they do, but it is hardly the full scope of what elders and deacons are called to um, and what the scriptures have to teach us about it. And, and, and what the, you know, the Presbyterian, the PCA book of church order, for example, has to say about these offices. So I've seen it in that direction. I've seen it where they're basically just event planners. Like, yeah. And those are really sad things. Conversely, um, and we touched on this a little bit, but you know, hitting the different polities, like you have congregationalist polity where every local congregation is independent, ecclesiastically sovereign or autonomous. Um, this is going to be your Baptist churches, but also um, congregational Methodist, Quakerism. Um, so you'll see aspects of the Reformed tradition that embrace congregational polity uh, versus something like Episcopal polity, which is hierarchical form of church governance, uh, in which the chief local authorities are called bishops, and churches with Episcopal polity are governed by bishops practicing their authority in dioceses and conferences or synods. Um, and this is practiced in Orthodox churches, Lutheran, Anglican, Catholic, this top-down um, yep. view. And then there's Presbyterian polity, which is somewhere in between, um, in which each congregation is part of a larger group. But the elders of that congregation, like the, the congregation chooses elders from among themselves. The elders rule over the congregation. The elders vote in the Presbytery and synods and general assembly. And they are also subject to the ruling of those things. So there's a lot of back and forth in a Presbyterian polity. But as far as the elders themselves, um, like what what is an elder and what is a deacon? I have the BCOs pulled up from PCA, but I was just curious, just in conversation. Um, yeah. How, how do you understand those terms just colloquially as we're um, talking? Yeah. So generally speaking, at least in, in, in my congregational experience, um, don't mind my little man, uh, there are... Uh, deacons who typically oversee the physical needs of the congregation, um, dealing with any any needs that need to be met, and then you have the elders uh, who oversee the spiritual needs of the congregation, um, the teachers, the preachers, and so on, um, and, and deacons dealing with things like finances or, um, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, generally speaking, um, uh, it, it's it's fairly straightforward. It's fairly simple. Um, sure. I think there are different qualifications for each one of those things. Um, obviously, which uh, we will we'll visit some scripture uh, in a little bit to talk about that. Um, but the but the elders would be the 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 you know like the pastor and the teachers and so on. Um, so yeah, uh, what were you gonna what were you gonna jump in with? Oh, I was just gonna go to the the PCA. Book of Church Order from 2021, which is a 400-page document. But thanks to the power of uh, Command F, I can find uh, <laughs> the specific pieces I'm looking for and jump to them very quickly. Um, but in the BCO, so this is the, the PCA's definition: the Presbyterian Church in America. Um, this is Chapter Seven, Article Two, or, or Line Two. 
says the ordinary and perpetual classes of office in the church are elders and deacons. With, and this is a Presbyterian distinction. I don't know if Congregationalist uh, polity makes this distinction, but I, I tend to like it. I think it's a biblical one. Um, within the class of elder, there are two orders of, t- of teaching elders and ruling elders. So the pastors are the teaching elder. Their primary function is to teach the word to the congregation from the pulpit on a weekly basis. Now, the pastors are also visiting the sick and visiting yep. people in prison and doing home, like, and praying with the congregation. But I think we put an undue and an unfair pressure on one man yes. uh, or, or two men, if you have a pastor and associate pastor, right, to say, well, you need to know the needs of every person in the congregation every week. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, say you have a, a fairly average sized church that could be up to 50 families in a like yeah. kind of normal sized church. And that, you know, if you're expecting one man to be regularly in touch with 50 families and like be able to ha- maintain any kind of depth of relationship there, I think that's kind of silly. But if you have a yeah. if you have this like group of ruling elders that are serving the church that are visible in the church that are engaged with the congregation, those mm-hmm. people that then you're dealing you know depending on how many elders you have then each of those is dealing with you know five to eight families and that's a yeah. much more manageable thing where they can notice oh you know the Van Riper family was at church today the Courtright family wasn't I'm going to reach out if they're not here next week and 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 right. see how they're doing right. um, but going on with the PCA's definition here it says the elders jointly have the government and spiritual oversight of the church, including teaching, and specifically within the teaching elders, though ruling elders also teach Sunday school and, and things of this nature, um, in my church yeah. at least. Uh, yeah. Only those elders who are specially gifted, called and trained by God to preach may serve as a teaching elder. Um, like my pastor, Pastor Mark, that we had on back for the Lord's Supper, has his doctorate degree. A lot of Presbyterian I love, ministries. I love pastor Mark. Yeah, he's a, the accent man. We got to have him back. Um yeah. And then the PCA BCO goes on to say the office of deacon is not one of rule, but rather of service, both to the physical and spiritual needs of the people. Yep. Uh, in accordance with scripture, these offices are open to men only, which will trigger someone, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's a good spot to start on like what the two are and what the differences are. Yeah. I think if we look at, I mean, there's several places in scripture we can look at Proverbs 11, Acts 20, 1 Timothy, uh, Titus. First uh, Peter, you, you, there's a number of places where I think there's an obvious model that's kind of laid forward that there should be a plurality of elders for that reason, like some of the reasons you described, right? Uh, in it, both the practical sense, uh, as far as being able to manage a whole congregation, right? Uh, but also in, 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 in the sense of like, uh, each one has different giftings, you know? So somebody may be gifted at teaching in a more academic way, like a professor. Yeah. Uh, but maybe he just isn't a great preacher. Um, vice versa, you might have somebody who's a tremendous preacher, but they're not as good, for example, maybe one-on-one. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the, having a plurality of elders, I mean, I think there I think there's, can be a case to be made where they're in the early stages of, for example, a new church, there may be a time where there's not a plurality of elders. Sure. Um, but there should be, uh, there there must be work towards discerning men who are spiritually qualified and yes. gifted to serve in the office of elder, overseer, pastor, preacher, teacher, etc. And so to set them and separate them apart to fulfill that ministry, uh, at least in the congregationalist model, is the responsibility of the church, right? It's the responsibility of the church to elect uh, men and to submit to authority uh, that they that they are called uh, to hold in those offices. Um assuming they fit those moral and ethical and ministerial qualifications uh, that we see laid out. 
Um, I'd like to turn to real quick. I'd like to turn to the confessions. Oh shoot! <laughs> um, just so we can, just as we break break forth here. Um, so the sixteen eighty nine uh, obviously is is the one I'm going to be turning to here. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, uh, and I love how uh, here in in Article Eight uh, it says a particular church, <laughs> nice a particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of offices, officers, and members. And the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so-called and gathered, for the particular administration of ordinances, the execution of power and duty, which he entrusts them with or calls them to, um, to be continued to the end of the world. Uh, and those are bishops or elders and deacons. Um, so here, at least in the in the Congregationalist uh, or Baptistic model, we have uh, we have these men being appointed by God, and that appointing being confirmed and set apart and chosen by the church. Mm. So you Come have you, you, right, you have God who who is the one doing the appointing, yeah. not uh, a pope or some other um, unqualified individual. <laughs> oh no, that's not what I wanted to hit. Oh no, it's even better. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you just called the Pope an unqualified individual, and I couldn't uh, <laughs> couldn't miss that opportunity. Uh, um, Ooh, that was but also, obviously, uh, through the wisdom of of the members of the church, um, uh, affirming that that call is in fact a true call on that yeah. person's an individual's life, on that man's life. Um, wow! <laughs> because you, because yeah, <laughs> you're saying there's an inward and an outward call. And I don't just get to I say, I indeed. feel called to be a pastor. Uh, we had this discussion the other day in a Facebook group, and one of the admins was like, okay, cool. Um, what church has called you to them? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And it's like, okay, you're, called, you're saying you feel the call to shepherd people. <laughs> Who are the people that you're shepherding? <laughs> like, you say I'm a shepherd. Who are the ones that are following you? And and as snarky as that reply may be, you raise a really important point here, which is it's twofold. If the church is saying, look at this exemplary person, we need like yeah. you should be an elder, you should be a deacon. And if that person feels absolutely zero internal call, not not like a conflict, but if they're like, I I don't I don't have any desire to do that, like, then that's not the right fit. And conversely, if somebody's over there saying, Well, you know, I read Bovink and uh I pray from the Valley <laughs> of Vision and I co-host a podcast. So I really should be a deacon or an elder. Uh, you probably don't want that person. You plagued yourself. You know, like if somebody's boasting in their flesh, they have disqualified yes. themselves. It's like that mm -hmm. that joke, right? Um, you don't really want the guy who always talks about eschatology to talk on eschatology usually. Yeah. You know, it's probably yeah. going to turn into some kind of weird John Hagee blood moons and like attack helicopters just <laughs> situation. Um, prove <laughs> me wrong. Apaches. <laughs> prove me wrong. Um, but no, I, I think that inward and outward call is super important. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of surprised that I didn't really hear much talk of that until I started to get in reformed circles. Like, sure. I mean, I'm not surprised because I went to a very charismatic college where everybody was like, um, coming up to me like in the middle of the day and being like, the Lord told me to give you a word. And I was like, cool story, bro. Did he though? <laughs> Did he though? <laughs> yeah. But I know that inward and outward call is, is really important. And, and I think we have biblical precedence for that too, right? Like this isn't totally outlandish. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I, 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 I love, I remember there was a, a, one of those reformed thug life videos, which I love, um, where somebody asked, for example, cause we, we briefly touched on it, right? That as far as people who are qualified to hold the office at, at a bare minimum of elder, um, that that individual must be a man. And that triggers a lot of people today. But somebody asked Vody this question, you know, why he said, my wife will kill me if I don't ask <laughs> why, uh, why couldn't my wife be a pastor? And so Vody breaks out first Timothy two and just simply says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And he said, so first of all, because the Bible says so. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to talk about, well, what if she feels called? Or what if she feels like she's gifted to do that? Well, like you were just talking about, right? This, this, <laughs> this, this inward call doesn't necessarily uh, mean anything unless it's matched with the outward call and vice versa. And so she, you may feel gifted in a certain area, but if, uh, if I, have a, as a man, say I feel gifted to be a pastor, but I have three wives, well, the scripture says he must be the husband of one wife. So I wouldn't be qualified. It doesn't matter if I feel gifted. All of us right. have things that we feel like we're gifted at that we're, that we're either not qualified to do or that we shouldn't do. Have you ever seen those people on American Idol yeah. that all their friends definitely lied to them and said, yeah, you could sing. That's exactly it's what it's like, like that. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely true. <laughs> so listen, it's a hard thing to hear in our modern context because frankly, feminism is a thing um, and all sorts of other issues which have come into place to, to instead of glorify the differences between men and women, uh, the way women. that God has created us. Uh, they have equated men and women as if we're the same. And so hearing that now seems offensive, but if we understand the proper uh, designation for men and women and the way that God has created us and we can, we can embrace who we are in Christ, there is no, there is no struggle there. There's nothing there that's offensive because we are, we are called and gifted. I'm not qualified to be a mom. <laughs> newsflash i can't have babies um number one and that's that's a stinking miracle holy smokes so yeah feeling gifted is meaningless uh unless unless there is a clear call um from both the church and from god uh that you are qualified indeed to do that but that also has to match scripture uh, a bunch of people telling you you're called uh, doesn't necessarily mean it either you have to be biblically qualified that's it, man. And um, I'm going back to the the PCA's BCO here yeah. for for some definitions where they go a little further. Um, but I, I love the way they put this. So we'll talk about deacon for a second here. The office of deacon is set. This is uh, chapter nine in the BCO uh, book of church order. The office of deacon is set forth in the scriptures as ordinary and perpetual in the church. So in other words, this isn't like an apostolic office that was only during a certain time or, or a prophetic office. You know, this is a, this is an ongoing thing that should be happening in the church. And it says the office is one of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. It expresses also the communion of saints, especially in their helping one another in time of need. Uh, and Article 2 says, it is the duty of deacons to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, to any who may be in distress. 
It is their duty also to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church, to devise effective methods of collecting gifts of the people, and to distribute these gifts among the objects to which they are contributed. They shall have the care of the property of the congregation, both real and personal, and shall keep in proper repair the church edifice and other buildings belonging to the congregation. In matters of special importance affecting the property of the church, they cannot take final action without the approval of the session of elders and the consent of the congregation. In the discharge of their duties, the deacons are under the supervision and authority of the session of elders. In a church in which it is impossible for any reason to secure deacons, the duties of the officer to de- uh, devolve upon the ruling elders. So basically the BCO says if, you, if there's no, you know, if there's just a very limited people and all you have is elders, then the elders will fulfill the role of deacon. But I love that. It's one of service and sympathy. It is to express the heart of Christ to the congregation. I love that. To, mm-hmm. to the friendless, to the person that shows up at the church and and doesn't have anybody. Like that was me. When I first went to my church, I went there and I yeah. was alone. And yeah. one of the deacons walked across the whole parking lot because they thought I, was, I wasn't doing well. And I wasn't. I was emotionally in distress at the moment because of life circumstances that were happening. And he came over and he prayed with me and he walked with me all the way back into the church and made sure that I connected with people. And like that's where deacons are called and to go and to serve people that are sick that are needy. And I love that, that the deacons are caring with, like they, they have the responsibility of stewarding the good gifts that the congregation, yeah, the congregation is giving their tithes, their offerings, their talents, their things to, to honor the Lord. And the deacons are serving the congregation in that way. Um, and this is a beautiful thing where the church is involved in missions, foreign and local, and where the church is involved in ministering to the homeless and to the widows and the orphans. Like there is great, room for the church to serve here in in the role of deacon and i think sometimes we can get it backwards where we think the elders because they have a different authority structure that the elders are more important than the deacons sure but without the deacons the elders end up having to do the work like the elders have to do yeah. the work of the deacon the work has to be done i i've heard and i've heard the argument that deacons don't actually exist like as an office biblically Bruh. but even if that were the case right even if that were the case uh, a group of members that are that are stepping up to the plate in order to fulfill those duties, they're they're just doing what a, what a deacon would do. So just calling them. So okay, so we've given them a title, deacon. That's great. I mean, that doesn't take away yeah. from anything. It's not as though they're um, fulfilling something that they're not qualified for in terms of spiritual leadership, like an elder. You know, that's why there's the the division of offices, right? An elder could be a deacon, sure, but a deacon couldn't necessarily be an elder type of thing. So um, I wanted to continue a little bit in the 1689 because there's a little bit more on it. Um, Talking about the appointing of of, of an individual to to these offices. It says the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit. That's very important unto the office of Bishop or elder in a church is that he is to be a chosen thereunto by common suffrage of the church itself and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer with imposition of hands of the eldership in there and of the church. So in this congregationalist setting, we have uh, the call of the Holy spirit, the inward call. We also have the outward uh, call or the common suffrage of the church. And we have the elders uh, laying on hands here, the imposition of the elders uh, that are already in the church um, having a role in this uh, as well. So we have a a, a kind of a threefold 
uh, work here uh, in order to to confirm that this individual is in fact qualified uh, for this particular position, um, and that they're not putting somebody who's not quali- un- uh, not qualified there. Um, <laughs> and then he says, uh, if there be any before constitution uh, constituted therein, and of a deacon, um, that he be chosen by the like suffrage and set apart by prayer and the like imposition of hands. So the deacon, same way, called upon by the church, uh, they feel led by the Holy Spirit to serve in this way. Uh, and then the elders have their hand in it as well. So um, I think it's important to see that there is a plurality of people there that are having their hand in this, and that should uh, disqualify any individuals who kind of appoint themselves, uh, not looking at anybody in <coughs> in, the, in the Midwest. <laughs> Mark Driscoll. <laughs> Douglas Wilson. <laughs> Yeah, well, well right. That, it's it's fine that these guys think that they're like, you know, I'm self ordained. Like, first of all, <laughs> right? That's not how ordination works, bro. Yeah, yeah. You just you just declare it, right? I declare it. ordination. I'm in pain. <laughs> I'm in so much pain right now. Um, you can't just say it. I didn't say it. I declared it. <laughs> Right, so so here's the the uh, Merriam-Webster definition of the word ordain, the verb ordain, um, mm-hmm. to invest officially with ministerial or priestly authority, um, to ena- establish or order by appointment, decree, or law. And act. spoiler alert: you can't invest yourself with authority that you yourself don't possess yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't I can't ordain myself as the governor of New York because I don't I have wish the, you could you know because I, we would be in a much better state. Well, that's a were. whole other conversation. <laughs> but at the same time, I don't get to invest myself with that authority because I don't have right. that authority. That's why you can't self-ordain. That's a that's a, a a contradiction in terms. The ordination must be by those who have the authority to instill the authority Precisely. in you to begin with. Precisely. Yeah. Anyway, but. yeah, like, like you said, it's it's like, uh, it's like imagine walking into your workplace and being like, "All right, today I've declared I'm your boss," <laughs> and then expecting a pay raise. Bro, I'm going in tomorrow. That's that's the first thing I'm going to say to my boss. <laughs> I've decided I'm the boss today, uh, and I'm you gonna, know what? I'm going to do the same thing, and we'll report back next uh, next week and see how it goes. <laughs> if either of us have jobs next week, <laughs> the Lord is gracious and good. Uh, to those who don't deserve it, but yeah, but but joking aside, this is a, unfortunately a pretty big issue in contemporary America, and even in our reformed yeah. adjacent circles. I say reformed adjacent because I wouldn't call Driscoll or Wilson reformed in the proper sense because they contradict the confessions on pretty important points, um, and they're both self ordained, which is not category. Now, now being ordained properly by a proper uh, plurality of elders, right? Um, yep. but like, you don't get to do that yourself. I don't get to just right. declare myself, you know, right. the, the boss. And th- there's a line in here, um, in, uh, the PCA's, uh, book of church order that I literally just saw. And now it is escaping me. Um, that's unfortunate. The, the <laughs> gist of the statement is that these are not to be pursued for power. And as we get into the scripture in a moment here, we'll see that that's pretty evident. Um, you, 
while these are high and, and good callings, they're not callings that we should aspire to for the sake of lording over others, right? Um, I'll just read very briefly the elder statement in chapter nine here. The office is one of dignity and usefulness. The man who fills it has in scripture different titles expressive of his various duties. As he has the oversight of the flock of Christ, he is termed bishop or pastor. As it is his duty to be spiritually fruitful, dignified, and prudent as an example to the flock and to govern well the house and the kingdom of Christ, he is termed presbyter or elder. As he expounds the word by sound doctrine and exhorts and uh, convinces the gainsayer, he is termed teacher. These titles do not indicate different grades of office, but describe one in the same office. Um, and so you have your, your teaching elders, your pastors, and then you have your ruling elders. And the ruling elders aren't there Sunday after Sunday preaching. They're, they're not preparing a 45-minute sermon week after week. But they are teaching, and they are overseeing, and they are going to the sick, and they're going to govern the house of Christ well. They're stewarding and shepherding the flock. And I think that's a lot of what's been lost in contemporary American evangelicalism, which is like an easy target. So I, I feel silly for saying it, but it, it's even in our reform circles. Sure. We have reduced these roles from their shepherding heart and purpose to be clerical or to be purely um, logistical and, and like a business. But really, these are the shepherds that Christ has ordained to support the growth of his church and the spread of the gospel. And yeah. likewise, as we, we choose these elders from among us in congregationalist and, and Presbyterian settings, we submit to their rule as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a big topic, and obviously we're just kind of scratching the surface, and I want to jump into to, uh, the passage in Timothy in particular, but, um, but it's important. And I think it's something that I know for, my, for myself I missed a lot. Sure. Um, especially with my own, my own experience. And, and obviously I'm not indicative of the majority of uh, American evangelicals or even um, Calvinists or Reformed people with my background. Go back to our Trinity episodes to learn a little bit more about that. But um, <laughs> even in my context, this like elders basically as event planners and, and a, a board of directors who make financial decisions was, was really a troubling dynamic. And I've seen it in other yeah. places too. Yeah. No, I'm excited to jump into the scriptures here. Let's do it. Which, um, which passage do you have up? We'll, we'll go wherever you go first and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Um, hold on. I gotta, gotta find it. If you got something pulled up, go for it. I'm oh, I got it. First Timothy time. chapter three. Do it. Uh, so this is first Timothy chapter three. I'm going to do verses one through 13 in the English standard version. This is speaking of elders and deacons, or as, uh, it says in here, overseer, which, is where the word bishop comes from. The apostle writes to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, mm -hmm. keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace. And how often have we seen that in our pastors, in our church leaders, someone who falls into disgrace for some vile sin that they, rather than confessing and fighting sin and killing sin, they allow sin to kill them and mar the church in the process. But anyways, I digress. Uh, So that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. And he goes on, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives Mm -hmm. likewise likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So that's First uh, Timothy yeah. 3, 1 through 13. Um, I, I'd also like to point out uh, in Titus, um, Titus 1, uh, verse, starting at verse 6, uh, he's, he says, the following, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. So he lays out similar qualifications here. You know, he has one wife, his children are believers, right? Uh, he's not openly being charged for anything wicked or, or being insubordinate, right? He's being charged and he must be above reproach. So living a lifestyle that is basically above being basically being blameless, right? Obviously there's always going to be those who are going to, who are going to approach you with false bearing false witness. Uh, of course. and everyone has sin. Of course we have sin, but unrepentant sin is where the problem lies, right? He must not be arrogant or quick tempered. Okay. So we have some personality traits here, right? It's not merely, um, his status as far as a family or, or uh, as far as crime goes, but he, he's to have a certain personality, not arrogant, not quick tempered, not drunken, uh, not violent or greedy, but hospitable, a lover of good, someone who is self-controlled, who's upright, holy, and disciplined, right? He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine mm, and also rebuke those who contradict it. Mm. So he's got to be biblically intelligent. He has to be able to teach biblically. He has to be able to be self-controlled and disciplined. He must not be a criminal uh, unless the crime is, of course, doing that which God calls if, uh, you know, like if you're in North Korea, something like that. Um, <laughs> and uh, and his family must be in good standing. So we have a huge um, responsibility here in order to be qualified to be uh, appointed. However, if we go back to Timothy uh, chapter 5, uh, starting over 17, uh, this, there's, there's also a blessing here. Um, he says, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor, especially for those who labor, labor in preaching and teaching. Yes. So we should be looking to our elders and considering them uh, extra honorable because of what mm. they're laboring in. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages, mm. right? For those who, who complain about pastors preaching for money, 
he earned his wage. He's doing a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's, if, if you want a good pastor, somebody who's truly spending day in and day out every week studying the word so that he can extrapolate all of the great, beautiful uh, purpose and meaning behind the text. Come on. That takes hours and hours and hours to do. Uh, if your preacher is spending one workday writing his sermon, it's probably not that good. Oh, God. If he's him. spending 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week laboring over the text yeah. out of love and passion to get it right and fear of God, mm. he earned his wage and he should be he should be able to provide for his family as such. So he, the laborer deserves his wages and do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two to three witnesses. And that's a callback uh, to the Old Testament law Come in, on. in so far as uh, not falsely accusing somebody. <laughs> So, uh, and then we could get into a whole, a whole, uh, topic on, on law and the justice system from there, but, but we're not going to, but we're not going to turn into theonomists because of it. Oh, got him. Uh, so yeah, uh, he's to be above reproach, but the congregation is not to admit a charge against him unless they have witnesses. Yeah. Right. But he's deserving of double honor. Uh, and we should respect and love and care for our elders and, in turn, serve them for serving us so well. I also want to point out uh, to those who say, like, what's an Episcopal and what's a Presbyterian? Like, these mm. words didn't come out of nowhere. These are English applications of Greek words. So, right here in, in both Titus and Timothy have this, right? Uh, the office of overseer is the Greek word uh, episkopos. So, there's Episcopalian, right? The overseers, the bishops. Um, and then when you get to elder, uh, I had it. Just a second ago, I'm in Lagos, and I was so I was so prepared until I wasn't. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, whoops, played myself here. <laughs> Get wrecked. Whoops, I got this. Oh, there we go. Uh, elder is uh, presbytero, sir. Presbytes, so presbyter is just the English of the Greek word elder. So, like they're talking about the same office: Episcopalian bishop, speaking about overseer; uh, Presbyterian presbyter, speaking of elder. It's just the English from the Greek. Um, But what I find really interesting in both Titus and Timothy in these passages, especially, and there's other passages we we go to, but these are the the key ones. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say how consistent both the qualifications for for elders and deacons are and how consistent it is from Timothy's letter to Titus's letter. Like, husband yeah. of one wife, uh, sober-minded, self-controlled, yeah. respectable, not a drunkard, like, yeah, um, not addicted to strong wine. There is a pattern here in the character of the men that are called to this office or these offices, rather. I also want to, as we kind of come to a close, I want to kind of turn the camera here onto the church members, the church body, um, in regards to your, your, your elders and your leaders. Uh, if we look at Hebrews uh, chapter 13, um, I want to look at Hebrews thirteen seventeen. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account they're going to be held responsible for their office, right? There is a humongous, a tremendous responsibility 
to shepherd the flock and they're going to be held accountable. Every word that comes out of their mouth is going to be held accountable. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So let's, let's obey them and obey them joyfully. Uh, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then it says, uh, he continues, pray for us as we are sure that we have a clear conscience Mm -hmm. desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So we have, um, we have a responsibility as church members as well, uh, in this process of church offices, not only in, in, in appointing these people, but also in obeying and submitting to them, recognizing the authority that has got, been God-given uh, because they are appointed to watch over our souls and they will give an account for what they do uh, and, to, and to help them do it in a way that brings them joy and, mm. and encourages them and, and, and makes them want to come back every week, yeah. right? Not to do it with, with uh, groaning and complaining and whining and moaning, um, Unless, of course, you have a legitimate reason to because of abuse <laughs> sure. or something of that nature. But yeah, but yeah, we, we have a responsibility, and I, and I want to humbly uh, call all of you to pray for your elders, pray for yes. your deacons, pray for your church, um, because they need it. Mm-hmm. They desperately need it. Yeah, and as we close up here, the other side of that is church discipline doesn't work without elders and deacons installed. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you cannot have... so. Using a very unfortunate example, right, where there's infidelity or there's something going on in a, in a Christian marriage, um, physical abuse, adultery, like you can't have a way to deal with that within the church congregation. And, and in cer- certain circumstances, obviously, there's like legal action that needs to be taken if somebody yep. is is abusing their spouse. But within the church as well, like we should be able to go to our elders and then both spouses being in the church, like there should be discipline exercised. And if, and we see this in the letters of Paul, particularly right. This, this process that leads ultimately, if, if the person committing the sin remains unrepentant, it moves to excommunication, which is saying you are outside the fold. You are not exercising the fruit of the spirit. You are not behaving like a believer. And so we, as the church, you know, Tony talked about this a little bit last week, holding the keys to the kingdom. We are saying you are outside the bounds of the kingdom of God because you are refusing to submit to Christ's body on earth in the church. You are refusing to submit to this church discipline. You are refusing yep. to repent and to love your spouse. And so you're, you are outside the bounds of the kingdom. And that's a different topic for another day. But my point with bringing that example up, and, and, and it's a harsh example, and my point is, that is why we have elders and deacons to care for our souls. And that is why we submit underneath them, as yeah. you so eloquently said. So, yeah, guys, it's super important. And uh, as Justin said, pray for your elders, pray for your deacons, pray for your pastors. How many times do our pastors labor week after week? And at the end of the sermon, they have people to come up and say, well, pastor, why don't you talk about X, Y, or Z? <laughs> instead, of, instead of the people that say, wow, that really... You, you preached Christ to me today. Mm-hmm. Like we should be, yeah. we should all strive to do that and to speak to our pastors and to encourage them. So that's super awesome. And speaking of encouraging people, Justin, if people want to encourage us, uh, <laughs> aside from giving us five stars on uh, on 
Spotify and Apple podcasts. Uh, where else can they go to, to join in the DT family? Yeah, guys, um, head over to our social media. We have a lot of social media that you can join. Um, we're on Facebook, of course. Uh, we have a page that you can like in a, a, a Facebook congregation that you can oh, join. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we are we not have, a church, and we listen, officially denounce any claims yeah, of being such. We have we have a plurality of admins. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, we have some some very qualified men uh, leading DT every week, and uh, <laughs> in sage stage posting and all kinds of wonderful things. So please join our church family. I mean our our, our Facebook family. Oh no! Um, no, listen, guys. Seriously, we have an awesome page on uh, Facebook, a group to, uh, that uh, has truly blessed us, um, and we've made some tremendous friends uh, in, in connections over the the past couple of years. Indeed, it has been uh, truly a blessing, uh, both edifying and sanctifying for me. I know for Blake as well. Oh yeah. Um, and and some of the people that we've we've become friends with is just I'm eternally grateful for the silliness mm. of, uh, of Facebook, uh, and, and for us as, um, as reformed individuals, uh, taking dominion over the Zuckerberg, uh, platform <laughs> in order to, to redeem it. And, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, join us on there. Also check us out on Instagram. We have a page that you can uh, follow on there for some really cool pictures. Um, and, and when we do giveaways and stuff, you'll see announcements there and all those things. Uh, so join us on social media. We have a Twitter if you want to occasionally see Blake wreck some some heretics. Uh, it's always fun. That is um, at distilling tea. Jeez. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, we got the social media. We got Patreon. Please join us on Patreon, guys. Uh, that's our 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 not just our adopted family, but this is our this is our real family. <laughs> Patreon, uh, guys. For four ninety nine a month, you can support distilling theology. You will get. Uh, you will get bonus content, all kinds of bonus content, extended conversations. You will get our episodes uh, released uh, early, uh, usually uh, anywhere from from a couple of days to a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months, oh, uh, depending snap. on what's going on what? in our lives. Uh, it, plus, it's all video, it's raw, it's unedited. Uh, you get to see all the spoofs and 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 boofs and goofs and all the other things. All the <laughs> and, uh and it's a blast. Plus, you also get a discount in the Distilling Theology store. Um, you get some special uh, merchandise if you join us uh, at fourteen ninety nine a month. After some time, you'll get some cool Distilling Theology mugs. Uh, we got some more uh, tiers coming for Patreon. We got some more merch coming for Patreon. You guys get to vote on stuff. T-I-E-R, not T-E-A-R. Yeah, yeah. Important, <laughs> important distinction Wait, there. We got all kinds of tiers on Patreon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Bro. so join us there. Blake, um, uh, uh, why don't you uh, tell our lovely listeners about our dear friends? Guys, if you wish you had more podcasts like Distilling Theology, head over to the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts. From a Reformed perspective, the network is growing. Guys, it's out of control. And you're going to want to head over there at reformpodcasts.com. The family's growing. It's Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Assurance of Pardon, Baptist Broadcast, Bobcast, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Fox Den, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude, Grace and Peace Radio, 
The Particular Baptist Podcast, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Restless, Small Town Theology, Small Town Theologian, and Steady Anchor. Guys, the Society of Reformed Podcasters is a blast. Um, it's full of content like ours, but probably less silly, probably a little bit less outlandish, uh, and probably definitely more academic. More, you know, there's that, there's that. But you know what? Uh, there's some great shows, guys. In all seriousness, go over to reformpodcasts.com with an S. Uh, subscribe to the Megafeed. You'll get the back catalog of all those shows I just listed um, and get updates as soon as all the new shows come in so if, if you listen to us and you wish there was more of us uh and more substantive content uh and listen not, uh, this is the only horror. place this is the only place you'll get these kind of sound effects though <laughs> hands down we are we are the kings of the sound effects <laughs> we're something man but uh you know yes, in are. terms of being something it's better than being nothing. And uh, thanks to you guys, Distilling Theology is something, and we are grateful for that. So, uh, folks, till next time, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs>